The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. I'm now 26 years old, and these occurrences still bother me to this day. Recently, I I brought them up with some of the friends involved, and I raised it into a discussion, and everyone just went silent, and we agreed to never talk about it again. I'll just refer to myself by B, and my other friends by their first initials. So, before I start, I, I need to give some background information. It's important to understand the kind of place that these experiences happened in and around, along with the time period, the ages we were at the time, and the kind of homes we came from. It all started when I was about 14 or 15, and continued until I was about 18, with one significant happening somewhat recently. Growing up, I I lived in a small town, a town small enough that we had nothing better to do than ride our BMX bikes or dirt bikes if we were one of the lucky ones. My mum was just a a raging alcoholic and my dad wasn't around much. My friends, whom I'm still friends with to this day, came from similar backgrounds. Somehow people with these types of upbringings seem to just find each other. I don't know how it works, but it always does. We also lived within five minutes of each other and these facts led to me being the young one. All my friends were a year or two older than me, but aside from the light-hearted jabs at being the freshmen, even though at the beginning we weren't even in high school yet, we were very tightly knit. Now, these facts are important because I want to emphasize how we were the type of kids who did not want to go home and took every chance that we could to leave our personal problems behind. The town at the time had a, a supermarket, a, a gas station I think, and a few takeout places. We were a good half an hour away from any real civilization, and most of us, not even being old enough to drive, we had to make our own entertainment. Usually this took the form of exploring the woods, skating at the local middle school, and getting chased out by board police with nothing better to do, playing video games, or, in my case, playing my own personal demons away on my guitar, though my amplifiers were never loud enough to shut out how broken my home was. Anyway, I was a trapped only child. 
let's just put it that way. So, we were very active kids though, and we usually took our bikes to the derelict train tracks that the town hated, as they drew kids like us with dirt bikes or mountain bikes and nothing better to do. We were never the malicious kind, though there were plenty of graffiti artists and junkies that hung out under the old underpasses or in the old storage sheds in the woods, or at the location that this story is about. But... That wasn't us. We were just explorers. Something that continued in my life, in fact, as I'm now a musician and an urban explorer on my own time and a mechanic professionally. That'll be somewhat important later on as well. Oh, and uh, two of the friends in this story wound up joining the military as well. This will be important later on due to one particular experience. So, this would have been about um, 2005, I think... I had cringy long hair and skinny jeans, and I had a massive crush on the singer from Paramore. So as I mentioned earlier, the tracks. They were important because they were like highway to us. One of my friends had a dirt bike, and we used to get up to three people at a time on it, and from there we could get to the next town over, or even the area with a local mall about half an hour away by car in record time, if we were so inclined. But, as I said, we were the exploration type, so more often than not, we all took our BMX or mountain bikes, as not all of us grew up privileged enough to own dirt bikes or quads, to the tracks, and we'd ride. Every day during the summer and after school the rest of the year, when we didn't just skip, that is, being the kind of adventurous, slightly headstrong, and a little too brave for our own good, kids that we were. You see, in the town I grew up in, there's this lake... A very large lake, and on that lake, up until about 2001, was a trailer park, a summer camp, and some upscale and very old houses, depending on which side of the lake you were on. Now, around 2001, the lake was condemned. The official reason, as far as I know, was polluted water. But there were some other rumors. One story in particular that persisted pretty heavily. But... But before I get to that, I want to note that the lake was polluted. If you dropped a rock or a cement block in, you could watch the water change colour with oil and debris from the abandoned housing developments and camps. That may be the reason, or it could have been something a, a little more, well, dark. Either way though, after the lake was condemned, everyone moved out. And they moved out quickly as well. All of the trailers, the houses, the camp... They remained, there were even some cars and boats left behind, and this, of course, led to rumours. So many rumours, but nobody knew why exactly at the time, and nobody really knew anyone that lived back there. It was all strange and mysterious, and because it was a large development, maybe for whatever reason, people had known families that lived there and chose not to speak about it or weren't allowed to or something. I don't know, it's, a, it's just a question in a sea of them, I guess, but either way, no one really knew exactly why these people moved. As it was quite out of the way, the only way to get there was a secluded back road through the woods, including a bunch of turns that you had to memorize not to get lost, if you were going there by car, but I didn't do that myself until a few years ago. We always entered from the back, though, the side the train tracks ran along. They actually ran right by the lake on the trailer park side and it was about a 10 minute bike ride to get there from our houses. Now, before we had ever been there, we heard all the stories as well. and We knew people had stayed away for whatever reason for years. 
The most retold urban legend was that a, a kid named Johnny had stolen a canoe, either from the camp or the trailer park, in the middle of the night sometime in 2000, and the story went that he took the boat and in the dark out on the lake, which I can confirm is absolutely massive, despite being so secluded, he lost his bearings and panicked and somehow capsized the boat and drowned. But it didn't end there. Allegedly, they dredged the lake, after weeks of searching for him, after the owner of a boathouse on the far side of the lake realized one of the boats was gone, and had actually washed up in the camp section of the lake, which was much smaller and separated by a very narrow waterway, they eventually found many Johnnies at the bottom of the lake, not just him. They found, depending on whoever was telling the story, anywhere from 10 to 50 other bodies, and according to the myth, that was the real reason that everyone just up and left because after this event, inexplicable things started happening. Like I said, the lake was definitely polluted and that was most likely the reason. I'm naturally a bit of a skeptic, though the entire thing remains an enigma because there was no local press that ever talked about it and I've never been able to explain the things we've experienced there. Whatever the real reason though was for the condemnation and the ensuing eviction of an entire community, it remains a mystery to this day as far as I know, an official explanation was never publicly stated. Though, I do know that people used to dump oil cans and even cars back there, which may have contributed to the pollution of the lake. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting away from the point. The point was, it was a massive lake surrounded with a massive complex maze of trailer homes, older homes and camp areas, and all of it was up and abandoned basically overnight, with nobody knowing why. By the time we were about 14 or 15, it started to become a hotspot for teenagers as well. A place to escape the world, and there was no access from the road at the time as it was gated off and the chances of being caught for trespassing there were little to none. One afternoon, we were on our bikes, like most days, and I remember vividly that we ran into a group of older kids on BMX bikes in the woods. But they were smoking weed, which none of us had any interest in. In fact, I'd like to get that out of the way. I didn't then and never had done drugs, and at the time these events transpired, neither did my friends, at least not the ones that frequented the lake with me. We got to talking, and it turned out that one of them had a backpack full of fireworks, though. They said that they were going to the lake to shoot them off the dock at the boathouse, and at this point, we'd all heard the stories, but we'd never actually been there ourselves. It was further than we usually travelled, and we'd all heard the stories, but being teenagers, we had safety in numbers mentality, so me and the two friends that I was with, combined with the group that we ran into, made seven of us. And upon arriving after a long and rocky ride on our BMX bikes, we finally came to the lake. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Even getting to it from the trackside proved difficult as there was a ravine between the tracks and the trail on the other side. But the older kids showed us the trick. Watch this, one of them scoffed. He then proceeded to ride as hard as he could straight down the incline. He then, upon hitting the bottom, took his feet off the pedals and jumped to the pegs on the back wheels, and the momentum carried him right up the other side. Now, none of us were strangers to doing jumps and tricks and other stupid reckless things on our bikes, and so we followed. As soon as we were on the other side of that ravine, on that ledge, we felt that this place was just special if that's the word to use. Maybe not. Maybe foreboding is the better word. But that day, it went off without a hitch. They showed us where the boathouse was, allegedly the same boathouse that Johnny had taken his final tragic midnight boat trip from. While I did believe that Johnny was real, I, I didn't know how much I believed that the rest of the urban legends were true. But, like I said, that day was just a good day. The elder kids smoked their weed and we were given full reign over the massive supply of fireworks and we would walk out to the end of the dock and shoot bottle rockets into the water and watch the splash when they blew up. It had to be timed just right, mind you, and even the elder kids were impressed that we could do it. We spent the rest of that day trying to top each other with tricks and my friend, M, one with an idea that he cooked up to pack a whole beer bottle with firecrackers, stick a bottle rocket in it, light it and then throw it out over the water and it would cause a massive explosion that sounded like a shotgun blast. And we watched the old green glass shards glimmer in the summer sunlight as they scattered into the water, hitting it like rain. At the time, I, I didn't realize that M had climbed to the roof of the dilapidated boathouse. After his firework trick, he called down to us, myself and the other friend, D, and some of the older kids. Now, M was and still is the very definition of the all-American schoolboy. But why he associated with us, I, I never knew, even though we remain good friends to this day. He had the build of a jock, he had perfect blonde hair and blue eyes, and he excelled at everything that he did. I was a... A tiny little thing with long black hair, a, a lip piercing, and I dressed completely in black, even in the dead of summer. And D was the nerdy type. He excelled in math and science and even tutored me in these as I was one of those troubled children, frequently visiting the school counsellors because I had few friends. My art in the art class that I took was influenced by H.R. Geiger more than Rembrandt, and in the guitar class that I took I was more interested in playing Black Sabbath than the latest top 40 hits. So, we were pretty much the definition of a motley crew. And that's not even including the fourth friend who would later join us in these adventures, who I'll call E. But, back to that day. So the boathouse was two floors and it was built on a ledge. The dock came from the second floor and went about 30 feet into the water, I'd say. 
The first floor seemed to be uh, storage and maintenance for the many small boats that would have to be stored in there years prior. Some outboard motors were still on racks along the walls and tools were scattered everywhere and there was a staircase that went down to a boat launch. I remember I was a bit fixated on that launch, funnily enough, wondering if Johnny really spent the last moments of his life there. And I was still in that area when I heard M call out. B, D, guys, get up here. You gotta see this. He sounded excited and I had to pry myself away from that boat launch, but I rejoined D and the older kids. We got up to the roof via climbing the busted out windows and when we got up there, I noticed M was looking across the lake with a, an almost hungry look. And when I saw what he was seeing, an entire housing complex, an entire community completely abandoned, he explained, we've got to go. And I agreed immediately. D was apprehensive at first. One of the older kids pulled me aside and said to me quietly, Look, man, we stay on this side. That side is bad news. We've been over there a couple of times and it's just weird. He seemed genuinely concerned too and he told me more about the abandoned homes, how everything was still in them. The furniture, appliances, vehicles, personal belongings, all just left behind. Some of the houses were basically untouched and he told me that those were the ones to look out for. He also informed me that there was a hermit who still lived in there, in a house that nobody could get near because there were stacks and literal stacks of old car bodies surrounding the property and a chain link gate on the driveway. And I later saw for myself that this was in fact true. I asked him what he meant by this though, but he just kind of shrugged it off and walked away. Obviously, this was not going to stop us. We had already decided that this was our new spot and it almost became a, an obsession to explore every bit of this place that we could. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com the place to find a place. And so, the very next day, we returned. And we rode to the other side of the lake, and boy, it was a long ride. But the area we'd seen from the boathouse the day before was basically a, a peninsula in the center of the lake. And the weirdness that he described, it was definitely there. In fact, he may have even understated it. First off, something we noticed immediately was the hum. 
If you don't know what the hum is, it's like a, a phenomenon reported worldwide of a, a low, almost inaudible, but steady sound that almost sounds like a, a distant motor running. It's, uh, well, a hum, I guess. That's really the only way to describe it. But we definitely all heard it, and though I didn't find out about the phenomenon until much later, I very much believe that that's what it was. We even tried to record it multiple times, and we never could, and though it could be written up to something like a, a generator on the hermit's property, it was audible, and at the time, so low volume all over the lake that it was weird. And it was there no matter where you were. Anyway... So over the next few days and weeks and months, we explored. We explored every house, every trailer, though we did avoid the hermit's property and the older kids had not been kidding about everything being left behind. I mean, absolutely everything was left there. From calendars on walls to clothes in closets, everything was left behind. Thinking back on this place, only one notable occurrence really happened before we found the old summer camp months later. We had begun hanging out around the lake, either at the boathouse or on that water, though we never went into the water, as, like I said, it was extremely polluted. Though we did, at one point, take a left-behind rowboat out to a small island on the lake and planted a flag of our design. I still wonder to this day if it's still there, in fact. But this occurrence, like most or all of them, I've never been able to explain away. So, there was a house that was pretty much intact, and we actually had a code that we wouldn't break anything that wasn't already broken, but the desires to get into this one house that we never could, it really burned away at us. And eventually, we realized that under overgrowth, there was actually a storm cellar that presumably opened to an exterior set of stairs to the basement. The problem was, someone had put a cement slab over it. At this point, it was me, M, D, and E, and it took the four of us almost an hour to move that slab. It was heavy as anything, and we ended up taking shifts of two at a time, kicking and dragging the slab off the entrance. But we finally did it, and remember, it took us almost an hour, if not longer, to move this thing. So, when the way was clear, it led down to a, a dark concrete staircase, longer than we thought, and myself and M, being the two most interested, descended the stairs slowly, and were met with a locked door. A pretty new door by the looks of it, newer than the house at least, and a regular front door type deal. There were glass pane windows, an ugly shade of lime green, but the windows were pitch dark. M, annoyed at the fact that we'd spent so much time and effort on a dead end, lightly kicked the door. And this was the beginning of it all. Because something on the other side of that door kicked back. M and I were up those stairs and on our bikes so quickly that D and E had trouble catching us. But when we finally stopped and explained what happened, E called us pussies and said that he'd go back and check. Though, of course, he wouldn't do so alone. E was, for, for lack of a better comparison, basically the Eric Cartman of our group. He was overconfident, manipulative, and just not a, a very likable person. But he always tagged along with us, and he was consistent. I'll give him that. So I agreed to go back with him, as I knew what I heard, and it was broad daylight, so I saw the door move. M also agreed as long as D came, so it would be the four of us again. We quickly returned and 
I kid you not, we could not have been any longer than 10 minutes, and the slab had been returned to its original position. None of us said a word at this point, and we just got the hell out of there as fast as we could. But of course, this didn't stop us from returning. We rationalized that it was just someone messing with us, possibly the hermit, right? Though, deep down, I... I think we all knew that that was impossible. It had taken four of us an hour at least to move that piece of cement. But weeks went by with no other events. Save sometimes we thought that we could see lights through the trees. Not like hikers with flashlights either. These were like amber or almost fire but too solid. On more than one occasion we tried to find the source but by the time that we get there it would be long gone. And this leads me into the next memorable occurrence. Because at some point, our teenage minds decided that it would be a good idea to start going there at night. I don't remember exactly why we made that decision, but boy, do I wish we never had. In the beginning, just like daytime, nothing happened. Now, kids from around the area often partied on the boathouse side of the lake until well into the morning, and Sometimes during the day, we'd run across other groups of people exploring the ruins. On the far side, one night, we met up with some mutual friends at the old summer camp. It took us a long time to find it, and we almost turned back many times. It was on a completely separate part of the lake, and we did this in the dark on bicycles. We were planning to have a bonfire and just kind of hang out there, and it wasn't until we went to the camp that the occurrences started happening in earnest. Now, I just want to mention here too that I didn't like it. From the moment we found the place, I, I just had a gut feeling that something just wasn't right. That night, I, I remember stepping away from the fire and the 20 or so people who had gathered to take a leak in the woods. I'm really self-conscious, so I went a bit deeper into the trees than I probably should have. And for a minute, it was silent. But then... I started to hear what sounded like whispering. At first, I, I just kind of rode it off as a breeze through the trees or something, but it increased in volume, and soon it was almost deafening. And so, I just ran the hell out of there back towards the fire, where Dee immediately asked if I was messing with them. And I said, no, why? And apparently, because we saw the lights again, and... It was around where you were into the woods and we thought you had a flashlight or something and were trying to mess with us. We locked eyes and he saw the panic in mine and I saw the realization in his and he told me that I was white as a sheet and I'm already naturally very pale. I told him exactly what happened and a few older kids stayed behind but at that point we left and most of them did too. However, I vowed to go back during the day at some point because I wanted a rational explanation. Now that we knew how to get to the camp, we decided it was just too far for BMX bikes, especially if we needed to get out quickly for whatever reason that could arise. And so, M had a dirt bike and I rode passenger when we went back to check it out. By this time, E had his license and parked his car somewhere on the other side of the lake and walked the rest of the distance through the trails to meet us. But seeing the old summer camp cabins in daylight was really no better. There was a sense of impending doom just looming everywhere, but we soldiered on. 
We returned to the approximate place in the woods where I'd been, and we found the remains of what looked like some sort of animal sacrifices. It could have been the work of a coyote, as we have an overpopulation of them here, if not for the fact that there was a raccoon splayed out and nailed directly to a tree. In the daylight, we weren't scared, so much as curious, and we just kind of had to accept the possibility that there could have been people in the woods messing with us. Not that the idea that some crazy cultist that being hundreds of feet away from us a few nights prior was not a comforting thought or anything. It just gave us a, a plausible and rational explanation for what happened. Moving on to the cabins themselves, there was again just a, a bad sense of impending doom and a feeling of just being watched all the time. We went through all of them. Most of them were like the trailer homes and houses on the other part of the lake. Everything still in place, but we braved opening a refrigerator solely because we wanted a time frame, and we found a ketchup bottle with an expiration date of January 2000. This surprised me as well because the cabins just looked so much more derelict than the apparent time they'd been left. But one of the cabins, I, I think it was the last one that we went through, was more untouched than the others. Sleeping bags were still rolled out in cots, there was a Boy Scout vest on the kitchen table. It had the heaviest feeling atmosphere of any of them as well. There was a painting on the wall in the living room area and at this painting, just the thought of it chills me to the core to this day because it was a portrait. I don't know of who, but it almost looked like Vlad the Impaler and was just really out of place. It was so stark in contrast to the rest of the cabin and I felt like the eyes were just staring into my soul. Emma was also freaked out by it. I don't know exactly why, and I still don't. It was just one of those almost silent, hillish, out-of-place type things. I broke our rule about breaking things too, and I tore that thing straight off the wall, walked right by M&E out of the cabin, and tossed it straight into the lake. And I must admit that that may have been a big mistake. A few weeks went by, and we decided that we would still hang out on the boathouse side and the trailer park area. Over time, we ended up mostly forgetting the events at the camp area, and we began just staying late at night again. And eventually, the main focal point of this story. This was the event that really still bothers me to this day as well, because there's just no way that I can explain it away. Being poor kids that relied on our bikes for transportation and treated them like extensions of our personal selves, and we were always salvaging for parts from abandoned bikes in the woods, on corners with free signs on them and all that sort of stuff. And there was a shed on that lake that was full of old bicycles, and it was just a gold mine for us. But it was behind a larger trailer home, one that we had never really given a second glance, as we'd seen so many of those abandoned trailer homes by that point that it was just kind of common. Well, one night, we were sitting around a small fire that we'd made near the boathouse, and we were really bored, so we decided to do something that we'd never done before, explore a few houses at night. Realizing that this would mean passing the hermit's house, we decided against going down that trail. Someone, I think it was Dee, brought up the house by the shed. Now, right off the bat, I, I have to admit that I didn't like the idea. That area was down yet uh, another set of dirt roads and the three or four houses back there didn't have any sort of view of the lake. It was pretty much a cul-de-sac. The other houses had deteriorated badly but this one, which was set further back than the others, was pretty much pristine. But 
I just immediately got a bad vibe, and I had never particularly liked that area. Something about it just bothered me, even more so than the camp area, but the three of us, myself, M, and D, we all pressed on. This was before the advent of smartphones, mind you, so we had one flashlight between the three of us. We rode our bikes to the area in the dark. The moonlight was bright enough to light the way, but we actually expected the house to be locked. And it was just too immaculate. Like, whereas while the other trailer homes that weren't starting to decay were still recognizable as a, a former home, they were trashed in other words. There were holes in the walls, graffiti tags, ripped up furniture and things like that. This one, this one had none of that. And I remember the events as they happened perfectly. So we carefully leaned our bikes against the right side of the house as the stairs leading to the front door were slightly closer to that side and though we may have been headstrong, we, we weren't stupid. But we knew that there was always a chance of running into a drug addict or a panicked homeless person or something. And so I, I used to keep a short baseball bat along the frame of my bike as we often rode in a deserted area for miles at a time. But for whatever reason, that night I, I didn't have it. It wouldn't have really mattered anyway, but it's just a slight detail. D had the flashlight and he immediately lit up the area when we got off our bikes. M and I were a little bit annoyed by this as it kind of wrecked our night vision. You know, if you spend enough time in the dark your eyes start to adjust. Well, he just undid that. And that just added to the bad feeling that I already had. But we slowly made our way around the house to the steps leading to the front door and I remember saying that it was going to be locked as I touched the handle and it wasn't. I opened the door a few inches and looked back at M and D and we just kind of looked at each other and gave a slight nod and then went in. I opened the door and D went in with the flashlight and M immediately called out. Hey, uh, is anyone here? I remember asking him, dude, what the hell? Because we'd been trying to be as quiet as possible. But then, then I saw what he was seeing. The door opened into the living room and... The interior was immaculate. There was no clear indication that the house had ever been abandoned, in fact, beside it being on a condemned property with an overgrown exterior and the surrounding homes collapsing in on themselves. The furniture was perfect. There was one of those, uh, those old school and big screen projection TVs that wasn't smashed. The kitchen, which we could see from the door, looked immaculately clean. And for whatever reason, we actually laughed about this, saying, holy crap, everything else is scared off this place too, they haven't even touched it. But despite being a trailer home though, it was pretty big, and had a fireplace in fact. I used my flip phone for what little light I could and got to work attempting to start a small fire to better light the area, while Em took the flashlight and went on making sure that we were really alone. D was sitting on the couch behind me, texting his girlfriend or something, I think. And eventually, I, I just gave up on the fire and went to sit on the couch next to D. We sat there for a few moments before hearing M calling us into another room. Now, I don't know why, but I just had a, an immense sense of dread at this point. I was sure that he had found something horrible, and my imagination just went wild as D and I stumbled towards the one lit room, lit from M's flashlight, down the hall. When we got there, we saw M staring at the wall to the right of the doorway. The flashlight wasn't even trained on the wall, it was just hung limply in his hand. And I had never seen him show fear before, but 
I could tell that he was horrified. Em, what's wrong? I asked quietly, and the wall had what had to have been just hundreds of knives of every type, mostly large kitchen knives though, just stabbed into it. Some appeared to be done in patterns, and others were just completely random. I was speechless, and it was as if someone had taken every knife from every abandoned home in the area and put it into this wall. But it gets worse. Before we had a chance to say anything, M turned around, shining the light on the opposite wall, and now, it may have been red paint, but as I said, I'm a mechanic and I restore cars for a living, and I've never seen red paint dry like what I'm about to describe. But in dark red, paint or otherwise, were just written all kinds of random letters and symbols and numbers, all framing a, a large, messily written sentence in the center of the wall. And it said, leave the house now. I'll happily admit that I was horrified. And so was D, and M just seemed lost. Almost like he didn't know how to process the emotion of fear, because, as I said, he just wasn't that type. He actually later joined the military and was put in special forces units. I turned to leave, and T grabbed M by the arm and pulled him along with us, and he was saying that he didn't feel well and that he needed to sit for a second. D and I just wanted to get the heck out of that house. Hell, out of the whole town, in fact. But M's daze, which I now recognize was an anxiety attack, worried us and we sat him down on the couch. We assumed that we'd be fine, but we still wanted to get the heck out of there. After sitting there for what seemed like forever, but was probably only about two minutes, it happened. We heard voices. All three of us heard them too, and it sounded like two men having a heated conversation, and we just went dead silent. And then we heard footsteps on the front steps. This snapped M straight out of the daze. We were up so quickly that everything just became a blur at this point. There were sliding glass doors in the kitchen area that led to the backyard, so we just slammed them open and just ran like hell around the side of the house, grabbed our bikes, looking back, expecting to see two drug addicts or cultists, and we didn't see anybody. Nothing out of place. I remember stopping dead in my tracks and mouthing, what the heck, under my breath, and M's fear had been replaced by adrenaline, and he was more angry than anything, and he started calling out, hey, if there's anyone out there, come out, I'm serious, come out now, as he looked all over the area with the flashlight. But, as far as we could tell, there was nobody there. There was nobody anywhere, in fact. Now, we couldn't have taken more than 30 seconds to get up and out and around the house, and we were obviously very loud as we did so in a panic. So, I guess it's possible that someone heard us and they just ran off, but M, still on adrenaline rage, said, screw it, and picked up a 2x4 on the ground, and he charged right back into the house and repeated his earlier statements. He came back about a minute later, and apparently, there was nobody in the house. We were so bothered by this that we didn't actually do the obvious and run like hell. With the one flashlight and our cell phones and a torch that I made out of a piece of wood and some fabric and lighter fluid that my friend had for the fire that we had earlier, we combed the entire area of the house and came up with absolutely nothing. I still, to this day, have no idea what the hell went on in that room. 
I have no idea what those voices and footsteps were. I'm a skeptic at heart, and I've since been in much more foreboding abandoned places, but I've never experienced a feeling of fear like that again. Anyway, after this, we, we still hung out near the lake, but we stuck to the one area where other kids hung out too. Eventually, we grew up and apart, and he moved, and M and D joined the military, and I went on with life. On one leave trip M had about two years later, we decided to revisit the lake though. By this time, the train tracks were gone and being replaced with what was now a, a nature and cyclist trail and some of the houses had been bulldozed. It was clear that the lake as we knew it wouldn't be around for much longer. And nothing strange was happening and all was well until, at one point, just walking our dirt bikes through an area it would have been nearly impossible to ride through as well, we heard a, a massive thunder-like sound. It was so loud that it just kind of shook the ground and it rattled the windows in abandoned homes around us. It was a bright, clear day and it was louder than any thunder that I've heard. And the sound was heard by myself, Em, and a friend of his and my ex-girlfriend. My immediate reaction, and always the skeptic, right, was a sonic boom as we do live somewhat near an airbase. M had actually spent the last year of his life on an aircraft carrier dealing with jets daily and all he said was that was not a sonic boom and he never brought it up again. We visited a few more times but more and more of the development was being leveled and replanted with trees to make it more aesthetically pleasing for the nature trail. But about two years ago I and a friend drove back there to see if there was anything left and every single building, including the Hermit's home, was just completely gone. I mean, you would have never even known that it existed, any of it. I parked my car on the dirt road, the car that I'd had at the time being a, a large, old, very loud muscle car, painted in a, a thick coat of matte black, and this is important because after we hopped the gate on the dirt road, which was now connected to a chain-link fence that ran the entire massive perimeter of the lake, and did a bit of a walk around, trying to picture where certain buildings or items had been. We returned to the car and we found something unexpected. There were scratches resembling claw marks, almost like a, a cat scratch but humanly sized and spaced on the passenger side of the fender of the car on a, a tough matte black finish. And at this point, I'm absolutely certain of two things. The first being that I did not hit or brush anything on the way in to make those marks. And second, that I'm absolutely certain that I never want to go back to that lake again. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 
Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.